Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971. Bonus time to Ben show as I speak. It's Friday, December 16th, 2022. Here's the headline uh, on my phone. It's popping over uh, the Wa- Washington Post. This I, I tell you what, folks, I, I don't have time uh, to follow Elon Musk's uh, wheelings and dealings in, in quite the detail they deserve. This truly is one of the greatest con men of our life. I, I, I don't know whether I should say I should feel fortunate, uh, but in many ways, I feel fortunate to have uh, watched with just increasing awe uh, two of the great con men, uh, well, definitely of this 21st century, Donnie Trump uh, and Elon Musk, uh, and how they have weaseled their way to the top. <laughs> Donald Trump is now se- selling like fungible baseball cards of himself dressed up as some suckers buying this. <laughs> I'm like, Donald, that's brilliant. You're unbelievable. You'll sell anything to anybody, and MAGA is so dumb they'll buy it. And now the Republican Party's worried. Now they're actually worried about this. They're not worried that MAGA is so dumb they're throwing their money out of Donald Trump. They're worried that if they throw their money out of Donald Trump's private in- initiatives, like selling these uh, baseball cards, uh, that they won't have enough money to throw out on his political initiatives. Oh, problems for MAGA and the Republican Party. Uh, the other great con man, Elon Musk, uh, whose empire is built to a large degree on handouts uh, from liberals uh, that have promoted the uh, elect- electric car industry, he decided he wants to be a conservative, even though he owns his fortune to liberals, figure that one out, uh, has become a champion of uh, free speech. I got that in quotes, because as we're finding out more and more, uh, Speech ain't free uh, if you're critical of Elon Musk. He, of course, purchased uh, Twitter for $44 million, or excuse me, my bad, $44 billion, way more than it's worth. And in order to make the, the money back uh, to pay off the bankers who lent him the money, he's got to fire employees, get uh, far fewer to do far more. So they have to sign loyalty oaths 
They have to sign freaking like it doesn't get less free speech than signing a loyalty oath uh, to the emperor who run, runs your country. You have to sign the loyalty oath before uh, if you want to keep your job. And then you have to agree that you're willing to sleep on the premise. You give up your whole personal life. It's like something out of like the Communist Party beyond free speech. Uh, and still MAGA loves this guy. Anyway, here we go. Musk's suspension of journalists on Twitter spurs U.S. international condemnation. Yeah, he's now kicking journalists off of Twitter uh, because they tweet out criticisms of him. Uh, so much for sp- free speech. Meanwhile, he got his two little uh, lapdogs, uh, Barry Weiss and Matt Taibbi, who used to be credible journalists uh, and now have just like succumbed to MAGA. He gave them access to all the emails that uh, had been exchanged between Twitter employees uh, in the old days before he bought the company uh, and the feds. And it, and it turns out, oh, here, horror shock, uh, that the feds and the Twitter employees were trying to figure out ways uh, to keep, like, Nazis off of Twitter and, you know, like, just blatant racial uh, tweets racially motivated tweets that were supposed to incite hate and violence, trying to figure out how to mitigate that. And now, you know, oh, that's horrible. So somehow or other, Barry Weiss, uh, Matt Taibbi think that's horrible. Uh, but now it turns out they're kicking off anybody who, like, criticizes or any journals who criticize Musk. So Barry Weiss, there you go, Matt Taibbi, get work, get to work. Ask, ask your pal Elon Musk to look into the secret emails that he's sending uh, to uh, his staffers uh, regards to this issue. You've got a lot of work to do to uncover the wheelings and dealings of Elon Musk. All right, without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce himself. We're probably going to have a little Musk talk to start it off because I know he's got a few things to say about that. Distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Thanks, Ben. It's great to be back on the show. I'm David Ferris, Associate Professor of Political Science at Roosevelt University, uh, the author of It's Time to Fight Dirty, How Democrats Can Build a Lasting Majority in American Politics, and I'm a contributing writer at a bunch of different places at this point, Newsweek, The Week, Slate, uh, and it's great to be back on the show. It's been too long. Um, and uh, yeah, let's let's talk about this uh, this idiot, Elon Musk. Well, we'll get to Musk. I just want to give a shout out. Uh, the last article that David wrote, well, two, one on Kirsten Cinema and the other on Kevin McCarthy. They're both must reads. But if you only got time for one, re- in my opinion, read the McCarthy one. It'll make you laugh and it'll make you cry. <laughs> so funny. It has so many one liners. I mean, you're a frustrated comedian, David. You really want, I mean, it is so chock full with funny one-liners about the utter insanity of the Republican Congressional Caucus uh, and, and its leader, Kevin McCarthy. But hold off. We're going to hold off. That's what they call a tease. We're going to get to that. First, your thoughts on uh, what Elon Musk is up to and how he's got uh, Barry Weiss and Matt Taibbi and uh, all these other flunkies doing his dirty work. Take it away. Well, I tell you, Ben, I I hope that someday I'm rich enough to be able to just take $44 billion and flush it down the toilet because that that is what Elon Musk is doing right now. The man is destroying the value of the the company that he bought that was already, I think, overvalued by about probably $30 billion. He's driving the value into the toilet. He's also crashing the value of his own dumb car company uh, that makes $75,000 Chevette's uh, Tesla, which is down like the stock price is down to 260 bucks over the course of this year, ever since this man started opening his mouth uh, to the masses. Um, And, uh, you know, he's I I don't know why he bought Twitter. You know, he's having fun, I guess, like just trolling everyone. Um, But the but the ostensible reason he bought Twitter was was free speech. 
right? Like he was he he was upset that he thought the Twitter executives were throttling, shadow banning conservatives, and uh, he was upset that Trump was thrown off of Twitter um, when he was trying to overthrow the American government as president of the United States. Um, and he, you know, first thing he tweeted when he took over the company was, "The bird is free, um, <laughs> right? The bird is free. How dare you!" How dare you ban people from this platform? That's not free speech. Of course, it's a private company, but it has nothing to do with the First Amendment, right? That's like, Elon, he could wake up tomorrow morning and be like, I'm going to throw literally everyone off this website except me and like Charlie Kirk and, and, and Matt Taibbi. And he would be well within his rights to do that. And it's like, that's fine, right? Like it's a, it's, it's, it's a private company, probably already has too much importance in the world. Um, but, the, but the irony here um, is that he's now banning journalists uh, like mainstream journalists, you know, the CNN and, and NBC, uh, people who have done absolutely nothing wrong um, and have not, are, are, are permanently banned from Twitter at the moment, right? Um, he keeps, he, did you see this? He ran a poll um, yesterday and today that was like, when should I reinstate these journalists? And everybody was like, now? And he was like, no, no, too many choices. I'm going to run this poll again. <laughs> yeah. uh, when, should I, when should I reinstate? Should I reinstate these journalists? And people were like, yeah. Um, <laughs> just like can't accept that the user base of his own website is, uh, is, is hostile to him. Um, and he made a big splash last week when he had Matt Taibbi um, tweet out something called the Twitter files, like as if he was like a like a, like a Watergate scoop. And he's just he's just leaking the internal documents of his own company um, to a you know to like a palace journalist who's who's really humiliating himself in a, in a really a really embarrassing and very strange way. Um, I will say this about Matt Taibbi: uh, he he is a really good writer. Um, he, he used to do great work. Uh, he he wrote a series of takedowns of Tom Friedman. Uh, the New York Times columnist Tom Friedman and his uh, his slapdash books, uh, particularly the Lexus and the Olive Tree, and then the World is Flat. Um, and I, I I encourage you to go read those articles because they cracked me up, like you know, like the Onion style, just making fun of Tom Friedman and his mixed metaphors um, is is a great way to spend twenty minutes of your life. Um, some sometime in the last ten years, uh, Taibbi made the journey from reputable left wing journalist to um, weird contrarian Substack crank um, who <laughs> uh, who who insists that like you know the Russia scandal was a hoax and um, it just it's just a weird set of politics. Um, I have a pet theory about what happened to him, uh, which is that it, he was accused of uh, some degree of sexual misconduct when he was in Russia a long time ago, and of course when you're accused of sexual misconduct, you immediately become a MAGA weirdo, I guess. Um, so <laughs> he's he, he's I, I think he's you know, grinding an axe with a certain segment of the commentary that uh, that turned on him when when some of this stuff broke. But that's a, that's another story for for another day. Um, all the Twitter files show is is Twitter executives wrestling um, with the question of what to do about disinformation um, and, and far right actors and people who are trying to overthrow the American government and the run up in the aftermath of January sixth. Um, what do you do about you know the president of the United States is tweeting out disinformation uh, as he tries to overthrow the government as he tries to run a coup um, and. Uh, you know, in my mind, I was like, okay, what's the, I just don't know what, the, I just don't know what the big deal is here. Right. Um, and did they, you know, maybe they went too far in a couple of cases. I don't know. Who cares? Right. It was like, it was like two years ago. First of all, um, my man in Havana now runs the company. So put into whatever, you know, put up whatever policies you want to put in. Um, but this is obviously not about free speech, right? This is about Elon Musk's ego. Um, this is about getting MAGA people back on Twitter. Um, this is about, you know, building momentum to have people harassed by by Nazis and incels online. Um, Twitter's a very different place than it was a few months ago. Much, much different, much worse place. Um, if, if people aren't talking about Elon Musk, you know, they're getting they're getting trolled again by like Pepe the Frog weirdos. 
Um, and it was like that. They did a lot of work. Twitter did a lot of work to make the place um, a safer and more enjoyable um, hangout for for journalists and, and other people who follow journalists and all these little Twitter communities. Um, and that's one of the reasons people stayed on the site. Um, you know, nobody wants to get their inbox filled with, uh, with, with people screaming about how they want to kill them and uh, this kind of stuff, right? Uh, and and so I, it's, it, it's it's such a mystery to me. Because he's he's not just destroying the value of Twitter, um, he, he he's destroying the value of of his of his brand of his own brand, right? Like I I think he's going to get deposed as the CEO of Tesla, um, because because his antics are are costing shareholders tons and tons and tons of money. Um, now you know what I think about Tesla, right? So, but uh, <laughs> you know, you are paying a tax to drive a dumb car. Um, but, uh, it's fine. Everybody gets to make their own choices. If you like Tesla's God bless, but, um, people don't want to drive them anymore. It's like, would you drive a car that was like, oh yeah, this is the, this is the 2021, uh, MAGA Trump, uh, express. Do you want, yeah. You want to get in? Right. It's, it's like you're driving a Trump. It's at this point, it's like you're, you're driving a Trump branded car. Um, and people don't want that. So, that's my thoughts about Elon Musk. Um, I would be surprised if this weird situation persisted uh, for, for too much longer. Like something's got to give, right? He's going to scare away all the advertisers and go bankrupt. Or he's going to be like, you know what? Uh, you know, what? remember what the Trump people said anonymously when they left office in 2021? They interviewed one of them and they were like, we did what we came here to do. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if he just quit in a couple of weeks and was like, I made my point, you know, bye destroying the company yeah his point was to ultimately destroy the company and using other people's money uh to do it it'll be interesting uh if if it plays out the way you say uh, the, the bankruptcy proceedings and who ends up owing who what and uh whether a judge uh, forces him to pay back in full uh the amount of money the creditors who lend him the money so it, it you could see it uh unfolding in uh, many different uh, directions uh to me the most relevant political point uh, to make uh, is that uh, it the biggest fraud uh, in all this fraud or the ongoing fraud is that somehow or other MAGA stands for free speech and a respect and a tolerance for different opinions uh, and nothing could be further from the truth uh, and it's just part of the overall gaslighting of America David that somehow or other a company that allows Nazis to intimidate or try to intimidate uh, people that they despise represents free speech. At the same time, they're kicking off journalists who, for the, uh, the crime of reporting where Elon Musk's private jet has flown. That ultimately is his uh, explanation for why he's kicking people off of Twitter. And his explanation is that it's leaving him exposed, that it's dangerous. It makes him vulnerable to attacks. Hello, Elon Musk. That's exactly what everybody else is saying when they ask you to protect them from Nazis and racists and white supremacists who harass them and maybe fire someone up so point where they'll go into a synagogue and shoot a bunch of people. Yeah, I mean, I, it's always important to remember that one of the defining features of the MAGA movement is that none of it makes any sense. Um, and the, and there's a reason behind that, right? Um, it, it, it allows people to evade responsibility 
for what they're doing. It allows people um, to never have to confront the fact that, that the things that they're doing um, just don't don't add up in a logical sense, right? Like the great free speech, the, the great free speech movement that wants to pull books about slavery from from public school libraries and fire teachers for saying gay. Um, and get professors fired when they, you know, uh, Barry Weiss, when she was an undergraduate, tried to get somebody fired at her university because uh, they were too pro-Palestinian professor. That's Barry Weiss for you. Um, great free speech warrior, Barry Weiss. And, um, right, like, <laughs> it's not a free speech movement, right? Um, it, it's a movement that is designed uh, to to shutter cer- certain kinds of discourse on the left they don't like, right? To, to avoid confronting certain kinds of truths about the United States. Um, and it's ultimately such a, it's just a bunch of such fragile people like that. You can't love your country if you, if you, uh, acknowledge its actual past and some of the things that are still going on with it. Um, that's what MAGA is all about. Right. And Musk is, is not, he's not just a MAGA guy. He's really stupid. It's like one of the things that's been revealed <laughs> last few months to me is like, what, what a dummy, like my Lord, the, 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 the interactions he's having with these far right people. Um, you know, like the other day he tweeted out, my pronouns are prosecute slash Fauci. And it's like, dude, you know what I mean? <laughs> Even if you disagree with like literally everything that Anthony, Anthony Fauci did during the pandemic, you're prosecute him for what? You know what I mean? Like what, why are you like this? Why are you so obsessed with this? It's like people on the right are way more obsessed with pronouns than, than anyone that I know. Um, and I exist in a series of extremely left-wing spaces and no one that I know cares about pronouns as much as these people do. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just like, they've just all lost their minds because they had to say the word they. Um, and uh, it's, just, it's just incredible. Uh, uh, so true. I um, Well, we'll see how far he takes it, uh, Elon Musk. Let's move on to the politics of the day. Uh, and yes, I will get to the brilliant uh, Kevin McCarthy essay that you wrote, which is titled, Kevin McCarthy is about to enter political hell. Uh, but, uh, we'll hold off cause I need to know your thoughts, uh, about what went down. I think it was yesterday. I'm losing track of time, uh, recently anyway, uh, in Congress, uh, where the Senate, uh, went against Joe Biden on the defense bill and spent more money, more money on defense. Uh, what was it? 850 billion. I'm doing this off the top of my head. I think it's eight, approximately 850 ah, billion here, a billion there. Uh, I may be off a little bit to quote Everett Dirksen. Anyway, uh, $850 billion and also, and this is the part, this is further insanity, um, got rid of the requirement uh, that people uh, in the armed forces uh, need to be vaccinated. Uh, And so that was a concession uh, that um, uh, had to be made to, I I don't know who, At, at this stage, I'm not quite sure who was insisting. Who had the votes to topple the budget uh, if they didn't insist on uh, eradicating the language requiring the vaccine? Uh, so take it away with your analysis of what happened uh, in uh, in Washington, in Congress, over the last two days with this vote, David. Man, I love Democrats. You know what I mean? Uh, only party in the world that leaves power before they have to. You know what I mean? It's like, my guys, you still run Congress, man. It's the lame duck session. You don't have to concede anything to anyone, um, but uh, but that's not how the Democrats operate. So um, yeah, they voted eighty three to eleven um, for this a preposterous eight hundred and fifty eight billion dollar defense bill. They added. I feel like they added forty five billion dollars on purpose because that's the amount of money that was estimated that could fund free community college for everyone. Um, and they were like, we just wanted to make a point. They're like, not only do we not believe in in, in education. 
we're going to take this money and throw it at guns. Um, and so at, at the present moment, the way things are working out right now, it's like, uh, two things everybody in Congress can agree on, man, more cops, more guns, more tanks, more planes, more, more boats, more shooting. Um, and, uh, it's, it's really depressing. I, 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 I don't have a really sophisticated analysis of this except to say Democrats are, te- are still to this day, terrified of voting against a defense authorization bill, you know, even though they run Congress, I mean, they could have put, put whatever bill they wanted, um, out there, um, but they continue to make a series of like unforced concessions to Republicans, um, including a price tag of defense um, at, at a time of, of runaway inflation. Remember, no, no one ever talks about how defense spending could contribute to inflation, right? Like, hey, what, what might happen if we drop $900 billion into the economy? Oh, nothing, right? No, obviously, it has nothing to do with it. Um, so, and then, of course, the um, the walk back of the vaccine mandate is just, um, I think, a really cowardly capitulation to this like rewriting of history that's going on um where like the people who were against the lockdowns and the mandates and and the masks all along now think that they have the upper hand um when in fact the mandates were popular the people wanted to be in masks for a long time they don't anymore but like we're we're rewriting history here um and you know why this why this made it into the bill I don't know. It's not like people were deserting the military because they get vaccinated. And um, if you talk to anybody in the military, they have to get like 15 different vaccinations. Yeah. Um, it's not clear why this is the one that, that broke the camel's back here, except that Republicans have turned against vaccines overall, which is really scary and a really big problem that we haven't really talked about yet. Um, but there's data that show like, you know, 40% of Republicans don't want to get their kids vaccinated for like common child, like measles and stuff like this. Right? Like the whole party has been taken over by anti-vaxxers. And, uh, and so, and so they just, they gave in, right. They took away the, the, the COVID vaccine mandate. And I think it's, I think it's embarrassing. I mean, I, I don't remember like a, remember a year ago, I was ready to like imprison anti-vaxxers in their homes. <laughs> I mean, I was like, these people are, these are the ones get, like keeping the pandemic going. And I, I don't think that's really what's happening anymore. Like, I, I don't think it's primarily vaccine refusers who are, who are contributing to the ongoing pandemic, but they are. Uh, you know, more likely to get and transmit COVID still. And um, this is going to lead to thousands of unnecessary deaths, right? Like hundreds of thousands of people have died unnecessarily over the past year, year and a half since the vaccines came out but by, by not taking the vaccines. And here, here you have Democrats running the House and the Senate capitulating to these anti-vax extremists who are, are killing their own voters um, with, their, with their denialism. And it's just... Uh, Every time the defense authorization comes up and they spend more money than they even than they're asked for, it's just it's depressing to me because there's so much else we could be doing with that money. I'm not one of these people that thinks we we can just like fold the military up and go home, right? But like, <laughs> this is way too much money, right? It's more money than the next 15 countries spend on defense combined, um, and it's it's just it's just that's Washington, you know. Well, and I gotta make this clear and get your thoughts on this again, as you pointed out. It's the Democrats control both house, both houses, the Senate and the Congress right now. They have not switched officially the Congress to Kevin McCarthy uh, and MAGA. So they don't need Republican votes. We this <laughs> David, I, so much of my the conversation we do about local politics uh, is about the mixed messages that are constantly being sent to the voters who are only half paying attention anyway. Okay. You know, so it's kind of, 
So the message that the Democrats, follow me in this, have been transmitting to loyal Democrats for the past year is that we need every single Democrat we can get because uh, that is the only way we can guarantee we don't have to dilute what is so important to America because of concessions to MAGA. This is why we need the Senate. This is why we need the House. So, okay. The voters responded in the midterms. They gave the Democrats one more Senate seat than they had going into them. And what do they do? They make a concession. They have the votes to pass the budget, and they don't pass the budget. And and you're right. The, on the concession about getting rid of the vaccine mandates for uh, servicemen and service women is so bizarre because I follow very closely the Illinois election here, governor's race. Darren Bailey, uh, who was MAGA's man running against Pritzker, was anti-vaxxer, anti-masker. He pulled away from that issue because it was a losing issue. Do you get what I'm saying, David? It was a losing issue. And then Democrats still make a concession. So it's like two histories are being rewritten. Like the history of how vaccines save people from more people from dying and the history of the midterms, which are not even a month old yet, or they're about a month. And a, do you follow what I'm saying? It, I, it's, it's like I don't under I will never understand the Democratic Party. Why the cowardice? It's just, you know, uh, uh, like, uh, let's give the, the most benefit of the doubt I can give them here is like, okay, you know, you had to overcome the filibuster because of Mansion and Cinema. Um, and so you had to make some concessions to Republicans. But like, I'm, I'm reading this legislation and I'm reading the, everything that's in it. I don't see what we got out of it other than that it exists, right? So, and when you win a vote 83 to 11, it's like, you have some extra votes there, my friends. Like, do you, you know, can you get a new negotiator to do this? Because all it looks like to me is they spent more money on defense than, than the president asked for. Uh, we capitulate on the, on the COVID mandate stuff. And what did Democrats get out of this? They're like, oh yeah, they fund, they, they have money for Ukraine. Nobody was going to vote against money for Ukraine. You know, nobody was going to vote against money for Taiwan. Like what, what, what is the, I would just love to, to have the notes from the meeting that took place for the lead Democratic negotiators in this thing. Um, and it's like, what's the theory of the case here? You know, like, is there some, is there some other shoe to drop here? Like, we're going <laughs> to we're gonna get something out of Republicans for this? Anything? I don't know. Uh, was it like they, they, they made Democrats promise to look like idiots be, for, for, uh, because some, a handful of Republicans um, voted for the, for the legislation that uh, addresses the threat to, to gay marriage in this country? Uh, which was a great, you know, by the way, great moment for Congress. You know, I always trash on these people. I just want to give them a shout out. But they actually did something good last week. <laughs> so, um, but uh, I'm 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 as mystified as you are. Honestly, I don't. I, you know, it's obviously throwing money at, at defense polls well, and uh, and and but uh, I don't think it polls as well as they think it does. And um, and at a time of uh, of great economic difficulty, it's very puzzling to me that we would elect to spend more money on defense than than we would have to, other than rather than spending some money to, to help people that are they're suffering from various economic woes right now. I just don't get it. Listen, when it comes to defense, the the mixed message that uh, our politicians from both parties send uh, is is overwhelming. 
one of the few things I could say positive about Donald Trump is that from time to time, uh, he would criticize the uh, bipartisan warmongering mm-hmm. of, you know, he, this, he did this in order to undercut Liz Cheney, but he would denounce uh, the the bipartisan buildup for the wars, the invasion of Iraq from 2003. Uh, he would say, he would uh, criticize the other sides for trying to get him involved in various wars. He would say nothing good has come from these wars. Every now and then he would just show this impulse uh, almost sounding like a Noam Chomsky leftist, heavy emphasis on the word almost. Uh, and uh, and then you would have people like um, Marjorie Taylor Greene talking about, I don't want to spend any more money on Ukraine. We need to spend the money here. But then when it comes to defense spending, it's like all that open window throw out, we got to spend more and more. <laughs> it's unbelievable. So it's... Um, well, we'll never uh, settle that lunacy at this moment. So let's go to other lunacy. Uh, and uh, if this is, if it's a freak show now, oh uh, my goodness, what can we expect uh, come January when Kevin McCarthy, I presume, uh, officially takes over as Speaker of the House? Uh, you address uh, some of these uh, in, in the essay you wrote. I think it was for Slate or Newsweek. Um, I can't remember which one. Um, and you can find it on the internet if you want to read it, ladies and gentlemen, I urge you to. Uh, so what can we expect when Kevin McCarthy, uh, presumably Kevin McCarthy takes control of the house? Kind of like a badly performed Cirque du Soleil. You know what I mean? Uh, it's going to be a circus. I mean, they have a, they have like a four seat majority in the house and they have 30 lunatics. Um, so a, a lot of the disagreement in the Republican caucus when they, last time they had a, the majority, um, uh, from you know, from 2011 to 2019, when Republicans were in the majority in the House, a lot of the sort of internal fissures in the in the Republican Party were covered up because they had a big, they had a significant margin for error in their in their voting. Um, they were they were able to, to mostly steer around the Freedom Caucus people um, because they because they had the votes when they needed them to produce them. And McCarthy does not have those votes anymore. I mean, he's out there like, um, you know, like a like a in a Dickens novel, like begging people for for 218 votes just to become speaker in the first place. Like he has not he's not successfully wrapped up the speakership um, because there are people in the Republican Party who who are asking for for really pretty crazy things. Um, I mean, one thing is just the the Hastert rule stuff where they want to they want to make sure that a majority of the Republican caucus is on board with any legislation that gets through the house and that's precisely to avoid um mccarthy doing an end run around his his most incalcit- incalcitrant people recalcitrant sorry i'm a little tired <laughs> his most obstinate people ben um and uh, you know the way you do that is you you get the 20 sane republicans and you combine them with the 213 sane democrats and you pass bills um and he's he's not going to be able to do that um the, these these are people who are really, I think, committed to causing a fiscal crisis in this country, um, and they are doing it on behalf of a, of a wildly unpopular ideological crusade against Social Security and Medicare. Um, and like there's like the two things that they plan to do with their power, and McCarthy is on board with this as much as anybody is. Um, he's the first one that talked about it. They want to investigate the the computer of uh, the president's son. What, that it supposedly contains what is at least a five-year-old and probably a ten-year-old non-scandal 
they want to make that the centerpiece of their agenda. The other thing they want to do uh, is cut Social Security and Medicare, which is about as popular as abolishing the police. Um, and uh, McCarthy is going to have to find a way, assuming he becomes speaker, um, he's going to have to turn this uh, at this circus into a, a body that can pass, like pass just some basic functional legislation to make the government work. And he's going to have a really hard time doing that um, because the Republican Party has like gone way over the edge. Um, and, you know, I mean, he, he's as much responsible for this as anyone. I think he's cosplaying uh, an extremist. I think he's just a little, uh, a tinny little bureaucrat um, who, who just wants to starve grandparents. And and then he found himself in this anti-democracy movement. Whoa, you know, um, oh boy. <laughs> what have we unleashed? Is what people would think before he goes to bed. Uh, he's like, all we wanted to do was was make everyone poor. Uh, and here, here I am having to deal with these people uh, that think that, that Jewish people use space lasers to control the world and stuff. This is not what I signed up for. So, <laughs> good luck, Kevin McCarthy. Uh, that's going to be the least fun job in the world. Um, and uh, and you're going to see immediately the differential in, in skill between McCarthy and Nancy Pelosi, who was able to keep her caucus together on everything. Um, over the last uh, uh, the last couple of years um, because she's a very skilled, whatever else you want to say about Nancy Pelosi and her politics, she's an extremely skilled leader of the House, right? Um, and she was able to get uh, the same numerical majority, right? She could only afford to lose about four seats at any given time, or four votes. She was able to pass, the, you know, she, she passed like D.C. statehood through the House, right? She passed um, the really far-reaching election reform through the House. Uh, like a bunch of stuff that's never going to see the light of day, but she was able to get it through because she kept all of her people on board, including on votes that she knew were hopeless, right? Because the, the, these things were never going to happen in the Senate. And she was able to get people to take politically difficult votes, um, votes that they could get hit with later uh, because she's such a she's such a good leader of her, of her party um, in terms of just party unity. And McCarthy doesn't have that going for him, but he's, he's never been a particularly talented leader in that respect. Um, he also has a much harder job um, because... I'd say like all but probably one or two of the Democrats in the House were like, they, they disagreed about stuff, right? But they were team players, right? They go in office, they like, we're part of a team here, okay? More so than in the Senate too, right? <laughs> um, we're, we're team players, we're here to get some jobs done and let's go out and do it. Um, and McCarthy is going to be just like herding 222 blind cats out there, you know, just all of them running in different directions, uh, self-aggrandizing, grandstanding megalomaniacs like Marjorie Taylor, Taylor Greene. Um, you know, good, good luck getting people like that on, on the same page as, uh, as Kevin McCarthy. I, I just, it's, it's just, it's going to be, it's going to be a nightmare for him. It's going to be, it's like, um, it's like if you were on a plane that was crashing um, and it was like the pilot was like missing all these opportunities to, to get the plane to fly straight again. And you're like, oh man, that's... <laughs> This pilot, man, what a what a knucklehead! But you're all on the plane, right? Unfortunately, we are all on the plane, um, and, uh, and there's going to be a few moments in the next couple of years that are not going to be pleasant because um, because they're going to shut the government down, and you know, we're just going to relive history here, I guess, from the Obama years. Uh, wasn't my favorite, but we're doing it again. I'm going to push back a little bit about Nancy Pelosi. Uh, yes, I think she deserves high grades. Uh, on some of the uh, legislation that you just uh, ran through. But I don't know where she was on this last vote for the defense spending where they walked back on the vaccine uh, mandate, uh, which, 
it's a, a weird form of capitulation. It's just like denying the position that Democrats took the hill on. You know what I mean? Like they're ready to die on that hill. I don't mean to make a pun. Uh, and then to capitulate, I I don't understand it. It kind of undercuts the legacy to a degree of Nancy Pelosi because, it, again, she still has the votes. So why the how? I, and I would always see these headlines. McCarthy insists that the Democrats do this. I'm like, well, you don't even have the votes. Who cares what you insist? Right. <laughs> Yeah, I, do. <laughs> I so the coverage doesn't even make sense. Well, which I just yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Some of the causes that she put her leadership skills to were not good. You know, I'm thinking. Remember, like the day after they impeached Trump for the first time, she she rallied all of her Democrats together to pass his rewriting of NAFTA. <laughs> it's like the ink on the impeachment was not even dry, and you're out there giving the dude a big W. Um, I, you know, so sometimes the, you know, the, the logic of, of her vote hurting was, I, I think mistaken. Um, but, but, but she had that skill, right. To twist the arms and to get her, get her party on board for what she wanted to do. And she very, very rarely failed at that. Um, and I think you're going to see the, whoever runs the house, uh, the thankless job of of running the house is going to fall on her face over and over and over again trying to, to to contain the madness that has taken over the Republican caucus. Uh, you mentioned uh, that uh, McCarthy's appealing uh, to the far right to stay in his coalition. It kind of reminds me of what Netanyahu has done in Israel to a certain degree, try to stitch together a coalition, a working coalition as just, uh, just a ser- a various uh, racists, bigots, uh, extreme nationalists. Uh, which could just mean horror for pretty much everyone involved. Uh, so fast to come back to the United States, uh, he's appealing to the Marjorie Taylor Greens. Uh, get your thoughts about the suggestion that came out of uh, Congressman Clyburn from uh, South Carolina. Uh, I don't know if he made it in jest, needling, or what have you, but he said is that Kevin McCarthy might look go a different way and try to win over uh, some Democratic centrists and moderates. And the Huck with uh, the, the nutcases, uh, the lunatic right, just put together a working majority of uh, quote-unquote centrist, and I have that in quotes, Republicans uh, and uh, moderate uh, Democrats. Uh, your thoughts about Clever's suggestion? I don't think it's going to happen because McCarthy is too much of a hardline ideologue to, to consider, you know, essentially like a, a coalition government with with Democrats. Um, nor do I think there's going to be enough Democrats who who will save him at that point, right? Like the, the there's a vote to become speaker. You have to win a vote to become speaker, right? Um, and if this dude can't produce 218 votes, then the house is just chaos until somebody becomes speaker. Um, and I don't, I just, I really don't see any incentive for for Democrats to rescue Kevin McCarthy specifically. Um, I could see. Democrats getting on board um, to make someone else the speaker, right? When some 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 moderate Republican, um, I, I've seen a few different names floated around for that. But um, but fundamentally, if they are going to bail out the Republicans prior to the to to a successful vote for speaker, it's going to be for somebody other than Kevin McCarthy. I mean, there's there's too much bad blood at this point between Democrats and and McCarthy, 
who, whose rhetoric over the last few years really is, you know, it's just MAGA adjacent stuff, right? I mean, this, this Hunter Biden stuff is just the most mysterious thing in the world to me. Um, there's, there's not, there's not a scandal here. It's like a, there's a troubled person, um, using his dad's name and, and influence to, um, to get paid for things. Um, and, and he's, you know, it doesn't seem like a great guy, but it's like, got really has nothing to do with Joe Biden, right? Who, who is the actual president of the United States, um, who's very well aware that his son is, is troubled. I think he's tried many times to get him on the right path and Republicans want to make a, like a, like a hard disk from a computer that passed through like 75 people's hands, uh, like, uh, you know, like, like Ryan Braun's uh, steroid test. And, um, so it's like, uh, that's what you want to do. You're going to hold hearings about that for three years. Like no one cares. Um, and, and McCarthy's all, all on board for that. So if, if he wanted to get Democrats to, to work with him, put together some kind of coalition, he's going to have to start singing a different tune about what he wants to do with his power. And I don't see that happening. Right. Um, uh, it, it would it would be a totally different political creature, uh, Kevin McCarthy, if he were to do something as audacious as just to cut off the Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world and make peace with the Dems. You're right; it's like a fantasy. I, I'm not quite sure if Jim Clyburn did that just to needle uh, McCarthy, uh, by or uh, if he actually thought uh, it, it could uh, come to pass. Briefly, talk about getting cutting Medicare and Social Security. Uh, which in your essay you point out is the most preposterous position the Republican Party can uh, take just in terms of basic politics because these are wildly popular programs uh, precisely because they benefit a large group of Americans who would be in a lot of trouble if they didn't exist. There's a lot of old people who are dependent on those social security checks and that Medicare coverage. It's, and they vote. It is. So I'm not, I understand you talk in your essay about uh, this cult. There's all these different cults in the Republican party. Uh, there's a non MAGA cult. And I say non MAGA cause it existed before a MAGA uh, Donald Trump created MAGA, a non MAGA cult that's dedicated to the destruction of anything that resembles a New Deal program. And these are well-to-do people or people who aspire to be well-to-do and just want more money for themselves. And because they aren't dependent on Social Security to pay their basic bills, they don't think anybody should be dependent on Social Security uh, to pay their basic bills. I can think of like people who flirt with this are George W. Bush, Mitt Romney, Steve Forbes. These are some names of the past. Uh, Ronald Reagan, kind of, but then pulled back. He was too smart to, to go down that path. Let's talk about that as a cult that has existed in the Republican Party, uh, David for so long, even though it's the kiss of death, you call it the third rail of uh, American politics. Go into that. It's it's really mystifying at this point that they can't accept <laughs> the reality that Social Security is a popular program that helps people. Um, you know, the Republican line on this has always been like people could make themselves wealthier and, and make better decisions if they were able to invest this money on their own. Um, which is stupid on a variety of levels, right? This is a pay-go system, right? It's not like, you don't have like a social security account set aside for you that's like investing money somewhere, right? It's just they're taking tracks, they're, they're taking the, the, the payroll taxes of today and, and paying for social security uh, today. 
Um, and for 30 or 40 years, we've been, treated, we've been treated once a year or so, we've been treated the same hyperbole about how it's all going to go broke. Oh, oh it's all going to go broke. Too many retired people. Whenever. It's going to go broke in 2033. Oh, no, no. I think it's going to go broke in 2037. Um, to which reasonable people say like, okay, well, why don't you just tax people a little bit more? And then they're like, whoa. <laughs> okay, well then it's solvent until the end of time, right? Like they stop, they stop progressively taxing people. Like what is it? I don't know the exact number, 130 grand or something, right? And then you, you know you don't pay any more in payroll taxes after that. You like, make trillions of dollars. Like Elon Musk pays roughly the same social security taxes that I do. Um, and if you simply made social security progressive, like the taxes that fund social security progressive, like you do anything else, the problem is solved forever. You know, it's like it's not, it's not, it's not a big deal. But they won't accept that. Right, like they are—they're on this hobby horse that Social Security and Medicare are bankrupting us uh, on the same day that they're signing an eight hundred fifty-eight billion dollar defense authorization. Right, but it's Social Security and Medicare that are bankrupting us, um, and it's always a reminder um, that the that the real beating furnace heart of the Republican Party is the upward redistribution of wealth and in, in, in the enrichment of the oligarchy. Like that, those are their real paymasters. Like those are the people that write the checks at election time. Those are the people sending dark money to the to the um, to the to the dark money groups. Um, the, those are the people funding the the weird think tanks everywhere um, that produce identical reports about how we need to cut these programs. Um, they have been after Social Security since the day the bill was signed. Right? There's always been uh, an intractable minority of uh, of the country and the Republican Party that has hated these New Deal programs from the, from the day they were signed into into law. Thinks that they're they're you know unjust and and uh, and wasteful, um, when in fact Social Security is like one of the most cost efficient, low overhead programs that you could possibly design, right? Um, and they want to, they want to have people put their money in private retirement accounts. And it's like oh man, I can't think of any time when investment has gone wrong, right? <laughs> it's like you just want to open people like well, all they want to do is they want to get people rich on Wall Street because right? that's who's right that's who writes their, that writes their checks. They want to take this program with basically no overhead. Um, and transform it um, into a program where your retirement money go like filters through a series of grifters and, and middlemen um, and fees and hedge funds, right? Like they want to enrich a variety of different groups um, on the way to the bank. There, the same tax they take the same tax money, right? Um, and they want to make uh, the hedge fund rich, rich. They want to make. Do you watch this show on HBO? Industry really revealing um, uh, look into the into the private finance game there. Um, they want to make those people rich. They want to make, they want to make bankers rich. Um, they want to make grifters rich. They don't care about old people, right? <laughs> like they don't care about retirees. Um, they're they're doing their bidding, and and what you see right now is you have this like really awkward coalitional balance in the Republican Party. You've got the old line granny starvers, right? That's Paul Ryan. Remember this book, The Young Guns, with Paul Ryan and Kevin McCarthy were on the cover of this book with uh, what was his face that lost his own primary, Cantor Eric Cantor. Uh, young guns coming up, you know, remake America. Uh, so you've got these these uh, these zombie stooges for the finance industry. This is really what the Republican Party is. Um, and now they're in this like awkward bad marriage um, with the MAGA weirdos who are obsessed with Hunter Biden's laptop, you know, <laughs> um, and uh, and can't let go of the culture wars and uh, think that there's an army of liberals coming to to prevent them from saying Merry Christmas stuff like this, you know, just like just like fever dream stuff. Um, and it's and it's like Kevin McCarthy's job to balance these two very different ideological forces into a, into a single coherent party. And he's not gonna be able to do it. Um, you know, talking a big game about this is the game, right? They want to use the funding of the government and the fist, you know, the fiscal cliff, the debt limit, all this stuff. Every time there's a point where Congress is going to have to pass an appropriations bill or spend money or fund the government, 
um, the plan is to hold out for cuts to these programs. That's what they want. Um, and this is the stupidest idea I, I think I've ever heard in my entire life, right? Like, yeah, it's like, you want to, um, do something unpopular to shut down the government, right? Like people don't like when the government shuts down. So you're taking an unpopular action on behalf of an unpopular ideological agenda to cut wildly popular programs. That's your plan. And they think it, and they think it's going to get blamed on Biden and it's not right. Like Obama won these showdowns uh, every, every single time, ultimately, like, you know, they had to make some concessions here and there. Right. Um, but, uh, but Republicans in the house took the blame when the government was shut down. That's just, you know, to look at the polling, it's very clear. Um, and that's exactly what's going to happen now. Um, because people, uh, for all their failings, Ben, <laughs> people can see through a ruse like this, you know, um, they, they know that, um, that they're being held hostage. Um, so that, um, a bunch of rich jerks can can get more money for themselves. Yeah. It's not well, going to work. I um I hope you're right. Uh, I I mean we began the conversation by talking about how the the Democrats completely capitulated uh, on the defense spending bill. I, I'm with you. I can't imagine a political universe where the Democrats capitulate on Social Security and Medicare cuts. I really hope we don't hit that because uh, it. There's too many lives at stake. Of course, there's a lot of lives at stake with COVID vaccines as well. Um, but I guess most servicemen are young, uh, so they'll get through it. I guess that may be the... If there is something resu- like resembling logic, uh, that I guess would be the logic. Uh, and we will close with a little Senate talk. Uh, one of the um, my favorite portions... Uh, of David Ferris's conversations with me down to the years, uh, the nightmares he has uh, over a Democratic Party majority in the Senate being dependent uh, on Joe uh, Manchin. Uh, and in the aftermath of Raphael uh, Warnock's victory in the runoff against Herschel Walker, which, by the way, could have been a whole show, David. We haven't even talked about that. No, uh, right. <laughs> could have been a whole show, that insanity. Uh, I was uh, celebrating momentarily the fact that Joe Manchin could not decide uh, the future of the Democratic Party in the Senate. And then right on cue, Kirsten Sinema, <laughs> God, Kirsten Sinema, Arizona Democrat, announces uh, she's becoming an independent. And I'm like, this circus continues. If only... If only Nelson Mandela had won in uh, Nelson Mandela, goddamn Mandela Barnes had won in Wisconsin, we would not have to worry about this anyway. Uh, your essay on Kirsten Cinema is pretty funny as well. So I'll close down talking about what is she up to and what does it mean for the Democrats in the Senate. This this like nightmare grifter Kirsten Cinema. I don't even know what to say about her anymore. <laughs> Did you read this article? About how she runs this like elaborate Facebook marketplace page where she sells like luxury goods and stuff. I don't even think she works full time in Congress. Like she's doing other stuff. Uh, for some reason, she wants to win again. Um, she, wa- I mean, apparently she wants to run in twenty twenty four for her own Senate seat. And say what you will about her, but she's smart enough to realize she's not going to win a Democratic primary. Okay, um, she's 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 become a lightning rod within the party. She has like you know, uh, well underwater approval with her own party's voters in her own state, which is nuts in the, like in the polarization era, 
for your people of your own party to, to disapprove of your performance in the U.S. Senate is just it's a completely unheard of, like outside of a major scandal. And she doesn't have any real scandals attached to her, right? I mean, just like garden variety American corruption stuff, like um, you know when she when she did the bidding of the of all the hedge fund bros when the, uh, when the when the climate bill was passed. But um, yeah, she she needs to get re- she she needs a, a way to get reelected, and she knows that if she runs in the Democratic primary, she's going to lose. Um, and so she's she's taking a page out of Joe Lieberman's playbook. Remember Joe Lieberman, former vice presidential candidate in the United States of the Democratic Party. Um, who uh, lost his own primary in 2006 because he couldn't, he just could not quit his love of the Iraq war. Um, and then and the Democratic Party's activists justifiably turned against him and defeated him in that primary. And he said, all right, well, that was fun, uh, but I'm just going to run as an independent. Um, I have great jokes at the time uh, where, you know, he put somebody's party affiliation in, a, in parentheses after the name. People started referring to his party as Lieberman for Lieberman. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> was going to caucus with Democrats and he won. Um, and, and one of the reasons he won is that there was no real, uh, credible Republican candidate opposing him. So it wasn't even really a three-way race. The, the other thing about Lieberman and winning that race is that, um, is that he was much more popular than Kirsten Cinema. that the, the, the incredible sort of upside down political talent of this woman is, is just something to behold. She is disliked by every significant demographic, political, and ideological subgroup in her own state. Okay. Democrats don't like her. Republicans definitely don't like her because they're um, a bunch of bigots and she's bisexual. Um, and uh, for, among other reasons, independents don't like her because um, she's a fraud. Um, and so it's like, I get that she's more likely to be a senator in 2025 this way than by running and losing in a Democratic primary. I, I will concede that to her. Um, but you would really have to do some work convincing me that someone can win a three-way race when no one likes them. Like that's that's going to be the setup here, right? Repu- like they, they think she thinks Democrats are not going to run someone against her. That's not up to her, right? Um, and Ruben Gallego is going to run against her for sure. Okay, so you're going to have a Democrat, good, good good Democratic candidate. You're going to have a MAGA weirdo as a Republican candidate, probably Carrie Lake, um, and then you have Kirsten Cinema, who will be less popular with the entire electorate than either of those people. Um, and she thinks somehow this is going to get her back in office. The only way that Kirsten Cinema is going to be a senator in 2025, Ben, is if she stops being. Uh, a, a shill for um, you know, for people who want to grind American government to a halt and who want to who want to stop progress. I don't know who's paying her. Someone is paying her. She's the most obviously bought and paid for politician in the entire country, outside of Joe Manchin, <laughs> who might as well be dressed in like an oil suit all the time, right? So um, <laughs> she's just—I uh, don't know what to say. I, I, I just what a, what a disappointment she's been. I mean, I, I on the days was she following, she made this announcement. A lot of her former staffers, people that worked really hard on her campaign in 2018, were like, I, I can't believe I, I I busted my butt for this woman. Um, and she turns around and just like stabs the whole party in the back. And she's still uh, yeah. going to talk to the Democrats. Nothing's going to change. She's still just going to be a pain in the ass Democrat. Uh, she just wants to get reelected. And I, I'm going to dedicate my life to making sure that that doesn't work. Well, it, it, uh, uh, it's just an interesting uh, uh, phenomenon uh, to think about this. Um, I can't think of anybody in the Republican Party uh, who plagues that party the way Cinema and Manchin have plagued the Democrats. There's some who talk a big game about doing it, but like Susan Collins, but no. Mm-mm. Push come to, I mean, you don't even take the push to come. To, I mean, she's pretty much always there as a speech, uh, she explains. Uh, I, um, I, I've never seen anything quite like uh, Kirsten Cinema either. I, 
kind of understand Joe Manchin's type because, uh, you know, I've been dealing with politicians like Joe Manchin from Chicago my whole adult life. Uh, so I know the type. I've never really, the Kirsten Cinema is is one for the books. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, my guess is uh, she will lose in a three-way uh, fight. The only issue is who will she take more votes from? Will she take more votes from the Republican or the Democrat? Uh, and w- <laughs> the future of American democracy, for what it is, will rest on that question. Uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, David? That'll come down like, who will it be Carrie Lake? God help us all, you know, going to, to the Senate. One thing's for sure, Ben. One thing I can guarantee is we're still going to be talking about Kirsten Cinema for the next two years. So, yes, God bless us. All right. Uh, so, listen, David Ferris, have a great uh, Christmas and New Year's. And I guess I'll be talking to you next year. All right. Sounds great, Ben. Yeah. Have, I hope you have great holidays with your with your family and uh, to all your listeners. Happy holidays. Um, boo Kirsten Cinema. <laughs> and Joe Manchin. All right. Take so, care. Uh, Thank you. Take care. That's David Ferris. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Mm-hmm.